Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. While you're making your way there, I will ask the Lord for his blessing and prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you'd soften our hearts, you'd help us to have the faith we need to combine with the words that we hear so that these truths would make an impact to the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to open with a chilling uh, story quite literally, Um, CBS reported last year, well, I'll just read the article to you. What is it like to wake up inside a morgue refrigerator? A South African man got the scare of his life after doing just that. The unidentified man who was mistaken for dead after being knocked unconscious by an asthma attack woke up Sunday afternoon about 21 hours after his family had called The Undertaker, according to the spokesman there for the Eastern Cape Department of Health. The morgue's owner said that he sent his driver to collect the body shortly after the family reported the apparent death. When the driver got there, he checked his pulse, looked for a heartbeat, but there was apparently nothing. But a day after the man was put in the locked refrigerated compartment, morgue workers heard someone yelling for help coming from within the fridge. (laughs) The workers thought it was a ghost and were so frightened that the man was freed only after the police were called. (laughs) So he had to endure another half hour or so. Is there a lesson here? I'm just reading from the article because it's a little, I find funny. Is there a lesson here? Well, Capullo, the health department spokesman, thinks so. He urged South Africans to call on health officials to confirm that their relatives are really dead. (laughs) I'm reading. That sounds like a good idea. You think? A trained health official knows how to pronounce someone dead only after following strict guidelines. In addition to checking for a pulse, they call for checking pupils for response to light, checking for response to touch, checking for heart sounds, and checking for breathing. And the unlucky man? He was taken to a nearby hospital and later discharged after doctors deemed him stable. In body. Emotionally, maybe not. His family was informed that he was alive. Listen to this. They get the call during the family meeting convened to make funeral arrangements. Hello? (laughs) Honey. (laughs) Honey. (laughs) The family's very happy to have him home. And now, my first thought was, Who was more frightened, the man waking up in the fridge or the men who heard his muffled moans from within? Well, it seems to me a classic case of being only kind of dead. Now, 
My regular hearers will know where I'm headed with this. My thoughts immediately went to The Princess Bride. <laughs> that hilarious comedy I so like to quote from. And if you are one of the few people who missed out on some of those quotations, let me repeat it now for you. Blonde dashing hero Wesley appears to have died. They take him to Miracle Max, played by Billy Crystal. They flop his lifeless body down in front of Miracle Max. Max says, why do you guys, by the way, want him resuscitated? He probably owes you some money. I'll ask him. And the, but the guys that carried Wesley in say, you can't ask him. He's dead. He can't talk. Miracle Max says, woo-hoo-hoo, look who knows so much. <laughs> It just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. <laughs> and then he says, with all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing you can do. What's that, they say? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. <laughs> well... The man from South Africa was only mostly dead, slightly alive. But in this morning's passage, our friend Lazarus is not mostly dead. He's all the way dead. He's four days dead. He's decomposing body dead. He's, his wrapped body is laid in a tomb. This morning, I want to talk to you about a guy who died but didn't stay that way because God was his helper. That's what Lazarus means. God is my helper. And that's what the gospel means. When God is your helper, you cannot stay dead. So here in John 11, before we meet the dead man, Lazarus, who didn't stay dead, and his grieving sisters, who we know to be Mary and Martha, uh, and, of course, the one who raised him from the dead. First, we need some context. Now, the incident with this dead man takes place at the end of Jesus' three-year ministry. In fact, it's right before Passion Week. We're only two weeks out from the cross at the most at the time that Lazarus is raised. Now, Context in the Gospel of John, of course, the first 10 chapters, John's been telling us all about those exciting years with Jesus' ministry. Uh, Jesus was proclaiming the gospel. Gospel is a word that means good news. He was declaring, get this, that he was God in a human body. He made no bones about it. Jesus, from his own lips, he says, I came down from heaven. For this reason, to give my life for the sins of the world that you all would be forgiven and have everlasting life. Now, that claim that he was indeed God was uh, well recognized even by the Jews. The Jews in John chapter 10 picked up rocks one day after one of Jesus' sermons. And Jesus said, hey, I got a question. For which one of my good deeds are you stoning me? They said, oh, we're not stoning you. We're not going to execute you because of anything good you're doing. It's because of this you, a mere man, claim 
to be God. So this is Jesus' claim that he is God. But the cool thing is that Jesus backed up his stunning claims with equally stunning miracles. And then, so he says in John chapter 10, he says, listen, do not believe me unless I do what only God can do. The miracles speak on my behalf. The miracles tell you that you can trust that I have the power to make the claim. I have the authority to make these claims. And then I also have the power to deliver. And so look what he did. He claimed, uh, I am the light of the world. If anybody follows me, um, they will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's John 8. So you get the claim. He says, I'm the light of the world. And then in John 9, he says, let me prove that to you. Show me somebody in darkness, a blind man. And he opens the eyes of a man born blind. At the end of that, he says, you see, for this reason, I came into the world, that those in darkness may see the light. Now, again, he claims to be able to satisfy the hunger of every human heart. In John 6, he says, you know what? I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst. And what he's saying there is, Inside man's heart is this God-shaped void that will always be discontent until God fills his rightful place in our hearts. After all, it is he who made human beings. He made us with his own hands out of the dirt. He breathed into the nostrils of his creation, and we became a living being. It didn't come from monkeys. We came from the breath of God who formed us with his own hands. And until he takes his place in our hearts, as Augustine said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. And so he says, he makes a big claim. Can you imagine a mere man saying, hey, I am the answer to every human heart's hunger and thirst right here then you better be able to back that up. And so he says, uh, give me five pieces of bread, little buns, and give me three dried, uh, two sardines. And now watch what I can do. And he rains down loaves of bread and fish for how many? 5,000 men plus women and children, 10,000 people, commentators say. So he says... They all ate and were satisfied. Object lesson, claim, I can do it. Evidence, watch this. And he says, don't believe me if I don't have the miracles to back me. But if I do what only God can do, the wise thing to do is to trust me. Last one, and then we'll get to the dead guy. Promise. Uh, my, my favorite claim of his is of to, the authority to forgive sins. So they lay a paralyzed man before Jesus. They all are watching to see him raise this guy up. He's been crippled. And Jesus goes to the more pressing problem, and he makes the claim. Son, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders in the room gasp, and they say, 
Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus says, exactly. And then here's what he says in a paraphrase. It's easy to tell someone, your sins are forgiven. No one would ever know if I really did have that authority as God. But let's say I told the paralyzed man, your sins are gone. And by the way, get up, pick up your stretcher and go for a long, fun walk. Now, he turns to the guy and says, stop being lame. Pick up your mat. Oh, that's funny. Come on. Come on. Relax a little. It's Easter. Stop being lame. Pick up the mat and walk so that you will know I can look at a human being and say, I decide your sins gone. He's not saying God the Father. He's saying, I'm pronouncing to you, me. And by the way, get up, just so you all know that I'm not horsing around. And so now to our dead guy. It seems like Jesus saves his most astonishing claim and most dramatic object lesson for the end because it's right before the cross. So sometime during these three years of ministry, Lazarus and his two sisters have become fast friends with our Lord. Now, Martha is the one who gets the relationship started some time ago. The Bible says in Luke 10 that Lazarus' sister, older sister, excuse me, Martha, opened their home for hospitality purposes to the Lord and his disciples. Their home is two miles from Jerusalem. Anytime the boys and Jesus needed to get to Jerusalem, they'd pass through and they'd stay with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And they were sure to have a safe place and good food and good fellowship. And the Bible makes it clear in several passages, Jesus loved these people and they loved him. But you know what's reassuring to me? That these well-loved people by Jesus himself, we get a glimpse of the two sisters together. Remember, uh, life in their household isn't perfect. And it's very comforting for me. Let me remind you, before we meet the girls at the funeral, this is what they were like in happier times. Uh, Martha's sweating. She's type A sister uh, personality. She's sweating and preparing a seven-course meal in the kitchen, carving the radishes into garnishes shaped like palm branches. While the little sister, type B, Mary, sweet Mary, is relaxing by the fire, laughing with Jesus' stories, enjoying story after story, laughing and adding her two cents in with all the disciples. When suddenly, things, the volume gets turned up in the kitchen. The cupboard doors are slamming. <laughs> The, the dishes are being set down on the counter with a little more force than necessary. You know, Mom, you know how that goes. We can let the whole house know something's bothering me by the way you put the plate down on the table. And so everybody starts looking around like, oh, what's wrong with Martha in the kitchen? And then she blows a head gasket. She comes out and she says, Lord! Could you tell that 
sister of mine to get up and in the kitchen and give me a hand. And Jesus says, Martha, cleansing breath, chill, calm down. He's patting a place next to him. I see it, you know, it's just, and cut your sister some slack. Man, you know, put the radishes down. Um, there's something more important going on than the little decorated things. I appreciate that, but please. So, and, and that's how it went. And, you know, they just, they had wonderful times with our Savior there in their a home, Bethany, that's where they lived. Now, you may have thought we'd never get to Lazarus, but here we go. <laughs> we didn't know they had a well-loved brother, did we? You know where he was? He was in the back bedroom. He wasn't feeling well. That's my read. Why don't we hear about him? Where is he? Well, you're going to hear about him now. Verse 1, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, by the way, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. John is looking back. He's writing in the later uh, part of that first century. She, this has not happened yet. She is not the sinful woman from Luke chapter 7. And I just throw this in for free. Uh, it's John 12 and the anointing there. So you could look forward to that. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, uh, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So let's pause there. If you're taking notes, you could say, number one, Lazarus has a problem, and so do you, and so do I. Lazarus' big problem is this. He's going to die, and so are you, and so am I. A nasty statistic that I always have to remind you about, it just came in, 10 out of 10 human beings will die. <laughs> um, and in the world, uh, here are some of the stats, how many of us are doing that today. Uh, 1.78 deaths per second. Now, I don't know how 0.78, you, you know, I don't know. I think that's the slightly alive, mostly dead. Uh, uh, 107 deaths per minute, 6,390 deaths per hour in the world. 153,000 people die a day. 56 million people die a year. 3.9 billion deaths per average lifetime of 70 years. The leading causes, number one, heart. Number two, cancer. Number three, lungs. Well, welcome this morning and happy Easter. <laughs> Not sure what Lazarus' problem was, but he had a problem and he was going to die. Interestingly enough, 
Death wasn't really the part of God's plan initially, as most of you know. God created this beautiful world, and he said, hey, this is very good. He created man and women together. Man, a woman, it was good, perfect harmony, everything beautiful. You remember the story God tells our parents, our mom and dad. (laughs) We come from them. He says, listen. Uh, You've got a choice here. Eat from any and all trees, every last tree you see, free, except one, just one, the real pretty one right in the middle. Because what's love without free will? What is love without a choice, with an option? That's not love. That's a dictatorship. You've got to have a choice. And so God allowed that in love. Here's your choice. Your choice is this. Love me and live, or sin and die. The day you eat is the day you die. Now, with the help of the devil's lies, Eve, you see that tree? God's trying to keep something really cool from you. You know you want to. Look at it. Isn't it beautiful? It'll make you so smart. You'll be as smart as God, and God can't have that. And Eve looked and said, well, it looks good. It's for a good reason. And she sinned, she ate, and he ate. They opted for plan B, sin and die. Romans 5, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death spread to everyone because everyone sins. That's why Lazarus has to die. That's why his lungs are going to fill up. And that's why your lungs also will fill up. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, everyone has a God-appointed day to die. Then after that, to face God in judgment. Now, the sisters know a miracle worker who might be able to at least postpone their brother's appointment. So in verse 3, Mary and Martha join forces together, and the Bible says they send word. They say, Lord, your BFF, Lazarus, you know, your best friend, the one you love, really, that's what they say, is sick. Come quick, save him from death. But Jesus says, look, I, I know how the story ends. That's a really happy ending, but I got something better than postponing the day of his death. But I got to let him die because I got a claim to make. Anybody who believes in me will live forever. I'm going to need a dead body because that's what I do. I make a claim and then I kapow so that people will know that I'm just not a talker. I can talk the talk, but I can walk the walk. And so I need a dead body. So if you don't mind, fellas, we've got to hang out a little more time because he's not all the way dead yet. He's only mostly dead. <laughs> all right, that's getting old. Move along here. Now, continuing on, let's fast forward to 17 to 32. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus just the way he wanted him. Already been in the tomb for four days. Perfect. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, 
But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, that means the chosen one, the son of God who is to come into this world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village proper, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, sister number two falls at his feet and says the same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Well, uh, who's the spiritual sister now? Really, it's Martha's moment to shine. Apparently, she can really serve up the feast, and she can call up some faith, too. So if you are taking notes, first we saw Lazarus has a problem, which is our problem. We've got to die. Secondly, but he has a friend in a high place, which is option for us as well. And so we see in the text that Martha's first on the scene, type A, of course. So she's going to take care of business. She's out the door. She flings herself at the feet of Jesus in a whirlwind of tears. She pours out her heart in the most compelling conversation I find in the New Testament. Let's recap it. Here's Martha. Seriously, Lord, you couldn't get here in time? We sent you word with ample time to arrive. If only you were here, Lazarus would be here too. But even now, well, I know the Father would do whatever you asked. Jesus, Lazarus will be raised to life. Martha, yes, I know all of that. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Jesus, Martha, stop singing, slow down. <laughs> Martha, breathe. I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone trusts in me, Martha, they'll live forever, they won't die. Whoever lives in relationship with me will never ever die. Martha, do you believe me? Yes, you're the one. You're the son of God who came down from heaven. Now. That's the kind of answer that really gets results. Now, Jesus wants this claim to be perfectly clear to Martha, Mary, and everybody in this room and the billions of people throughout the ages who have heard it. He says, just so you know, let's repeat this over and over again, and let me use your dullness of faith so that I can repeat it so that everybody will hear clearly what I'm claiming. I'm claiming... I can get you out of this alive. 
you, your brother, your sister, and every human being that ever walked the earth. Me. I can do it. I'm not asking you guys to do anything. I'm telling you, I, in me, is the answer to eternal life. It's not in you or anything you can do. You hook up with me. Anybody who has a relationship with me, here's my claim, you'll never die. Your heart will stop and you will enter the presence of God never to taste what is called the second death. And he says, do you believe this? Do you get it? Well, of course, what follows the big claim is the kerpal. So he says, let's finish the story because he needs the body now. So verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. It's like, Martha, didn't you just say, I know that you can do something about this, but obviously you don't really believe that. You know, by the way, King James has this verse, uh, the best, by this time there's a bad odor in the King James that says, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> I prefer that reading, but then I'd have to stop and we'd all have to laugh. All right, so he stinketh. He'd been in there four days. Jesus says to her, Mar Martha, didn't I tell you just a few verses ago that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. All right. So if you're taking notes, right? Number one was Lazarus has a problem like we do, death. Two, Lazarus has a friend in high places like we can and last point, Lazarus is raised from the dead like we will be. Now, Jesus is moved deeply. In verse 35, which we didn't read, shortest verse in the Bible, very famous, it says Jesus wept. Now, why? In the, in the Greek, it's deeply troubled. Why is the Son of God crying? He knows what he's going to do. Well, commentators say, number one, Jesus wept because, for one thing, it, he's in the presence of that beast, death. And his enemy, the devil, caused that. And it's wreaked so much havoc and pain and suffering throughout the ages that only God would truly know how painful it's been. He's ready to do battle. In two weeks, he'll wrestle that beast down for six hours on the cross. So he's facing, wow, this is it. This is the moment that he's been waiting for. For, for ages and ages and ages. It's, wow, I, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get rid of this thing forever and ever and ever. This is a little token resurrection. But in two weeks from now, I will take that monster and I will crush it. But I will be crushed by it. But third day, on the third day, I will raise myself up. And so he's 
crying. He's moved. It's like, wow, here's the moment, man. He's also crying because people were so hard-hearted. Even his own people. They're constantly, I'm sorry, dull and dense and not getting it. He said to his disciples, are you really so, and the word is dense, are you really not getting it? I'm doing all of these miracles and still you don't believe even Mary and Martha. They're having trouble. So he's moved. What's worse are the hard-hearted people there that don't even believe in him at all. Here's what they say in verse 37. Sheesh, what a phony baloney. Look at all the tears. Couldn't this guy who supposedly opened the blind eyes have stopped this man from dying? Give me a break. On the way to the funeral procession, they're saying, oh, look at him. He's crying. Oh, what's wrong with you? You miss your friend? Oh, you couldn't have stopped him from dying, mister? I can open the eyes of the blind. Those same people go tattletailing after Jesus raises him from the dead. He comes out like a mummy, and they go running off to the Pharisees. Jesus raised somebody from the dead. What are you guys going to do? Get busy. Jesus cries. Why? He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to destroy death. He's going to open the gates of eternal life. And there will be people who refuse to enter and they will perish forever in hell when they didn't have to. Jesus is in their presence and he looks at their faces and he hears, oh, they're big guy. And he knows, oh, they're going to miss it. Why? Why would you go to hell when you don't have to? Look what I'm about to do for you. And you would say, no. Yeah, Jesus wept and so do we. But we go forward. Heaven comes anyway. Whether you're going to go or not, sorry, he's going to go forward. I've told you recently, maybe Wednesday night, about uh, standing at uh, Palm Drive Hospital checking uh, myself in for some minor thing in the ER, you know, an owie, whatever. And I'm standing there next to a woman and her daughter, and they're waiting for the husband to arrive, and I hear the siren, and they're standing right there. And the, the stretcher comes in, and a guy, an EMT, straddled a guy on the gurney, and he's trying to resuscitate this man on the gurney. And it goes reeling back to the, the back. And they're just crying, and they're standing right there, and I'm kind of engaging them a little bit, you know, like, wow, oh, oh, I hope everything's okay. I'm a pastor, I'm praying, whatever. And uh, the doctor comes out, right, standing right with them, me. I'm sorry, there's nothing we could do. Well, we were at Safeway, right across the street, and he just fell over before while we were loading the groceries in the truck. We're going to Italy tomorrow. He can't be dead. So the doctor says, I'm sorry, ma'am, and walks away. The daughter and the wife, the widow, is standing there. And I scoot a little closer, and I say, can I pray for you? And she says, I don't pray, with her finger in my face, fire in her eyes. Jesus wept because she was in the crowd, 
with the big shot. What are you going to do? We've got children who don't want to come. We've got parents who said, no, thank you on eternal life. Oh, I'm happy for you guys. We cry. But we go. We go on. If you don't want to come, as much as I'd like to get inside of your brain and change that for you, I can't. My heart for that woman, wow, not a good sign. Jesus wept. Well, let's get to the happy part here. Um, the king gives the orders. Move the stone. Check. The king prays. And here's a paraphrase. Father, for the benefit of the people standing here, I need them to believe that I'm who I claim to be and that I could deliver what I promise. Let's show them who I am. Lazarus, come give me a hug. And Lazarus comes forth. The best picture in all the Bible is mummified Lazarus wobbling out to give Jesus a hug. Now, I don't know about you, but I am ordering this DVD when I get to heaven. I need to see the expression of the faces in that crowd. When out from the tomb comes Lazarus, oh, with a good dog, so he's like, oh, just wonderful. He doesn't stinketh anymore. Oh, man. Especially the look on the haters. Oh, that's what I need to see, you know? And, and you know what it would be? I'd be, oh, yeah, how long did it take you to set that one up? You know, there's always an excuse, always an excuse. Well, I'll feel sorry for Lazarus as I bring my remarks to a close. Let me tell you why. Number one, he's recalled from paradise. He's a paradise already. He's been through the valley of the shadow of death. Done that. Been there, done that. I'm there. I'm talking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's sitting there t talking about uh, Elijah calling down fire from heaven. He's baking, baking bread. <laughs> He's breaking bread with the Old Testament saints. So he gets a hold of Noah, right? And he's like, Noah, I've been meaning to ask you this for a long time. The giraffes, how did you get them through the door? And then suddenly you hear like thunder, Lazarus. <laughs> and the place is like shaking. Everybody's looking around and Lazarus says, Oh, man, I know that voice. I just had dinner with him a few nights ago. I got to go. And then, then he's gone. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I don't know if you get sucked up or sucked sideways or what do you do? I don't, I don't get it. You just, yeah. Well, that's what I'm going to ask to find out. But he shows up. So you know why else I don't, I, I feel sorry for Lazarus? <laughs> the chief priests. They want to kill Jesus. But in John chapter 12 and verse 10, they say, oh, let's not just kill Jesus. We got to kill that guy he raised from the dead. Oh, and how silly is that? You know, Jesus just brought him up from the dead. Now you're going to kill him again? That's crazy. Does that make sense? <laughs> Jesus just say, well, come on back again. You know, so 
They want to kill Lazarus because, because of his testimony, all the Jews are flocking to Jesus. So they said, you know what? We're going to kill Jesus. Uh, kill that big mouth too. So they tried to kill him. They weren't successful with Lazarus, but they were with Jesus because it was Jesus' plan to lay down his life for the sins of the world. And that he did. He got on the cross on Good Friday, the Jewish Passover, just like he said he would. And he said, here's the claim. They're going to mock me. The bad guys are going to have the power. They're going to pluck out my beard. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to flog me. They're going to crucify me. And on the third day, paying attention, I will rise. He says this six times in, in the disciples' hearing. Six times. Now, here's the claim. Now he says, check me out on the third day. If you find my dead bones in that tomb, then all of you go find somebody else. But when you come to the tomb, if it's empty, then I kept my word. And so they did. They came to the tomb on the third day. They didn't come in faith. They came with more embalming spices for the dead. And here's how it goes. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices. They had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, gee whiz, I wonder where the body could be. Um, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you? So a gentle rebuke. It's the third day. The angels are smiling. They're happy. But they're like, ladies, seriously? Embalming spices? It's the third day. Uh, cemetery? Uh, why is somebody like in the upper room with some candles, with holding hands and praying in expectation for the risen one to come? Because he did tell you six times. And there were a lot of kerpals along the way. Oh, but is there one candle burning somewhere in somebody's house saying, you know, he's going to rise on the third day? Two guys walking down the road, disciples, Jesus himself now risen, walking along with them and saying, brothers, what's the problem? Oh, man, are you the only one new to Jerusalem? Don't you know what's happening? Man, we had Jesus and he was doing all these carpals and oh, man, we thought he was the one, but he got killed. And beside all that, it's the third day. That's when Jesus was like, it's the third day? You disciples, you're telling me the whole story to Jesus who's raised from the dead, they can't recognize him? Come on. Where's your faith? Put it into practice. Now, uh, I, I taught English for 10 years as I was pastoring, as my second job. It was a full-time job, but I was an English teacher. And we're sitting around at the teacher's um, lunch table, the break room. There's probably about 20 teachers. It was a very small room, and it was quiet. Somebody was reading the newspaper, and we're all eating our lunches. And the guy reads about an airplane crash. 
and he comments about it. And then he says, wow, 13 people died. Everybody's quiet. He says, I wonder what it's like to die. And somebody said, <laughs> not me, somebody said, well, I guess you'll never know the answer to that question because nobody's died and come back to tell us about it. And then it got really quiet. <laughs> and I said, <clears throat> well, actually, that's not true. Somebody did die and come back to tell us all about it so that we don't have to go down that road. And, you know, he said it's not going to hurt at all, that we just go with him through it. Right back to reading the newspaper. <laughs> right back to, yeah, the, oh, sun, sunny tomorrow, mild, and yeah, just Jesus wept. What can you do? You know, sometimes I just feel like I get to jump on the table and start going crazy. Can you picture it happening? <laughs> but that would just make it worse, right? And we see those Christians, they're all wacko, crazy. Well, you know what? If you don't, if you don't open your heart to the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God who's been convicting you since birth, if you've closed your eyes to God's presence in creation, if you've silenced your own ears to your own God-given conscience that you have sinned and you need God, then some guy ranting and raving on top of a lunch table isn't going to be any good to you. Because to your loss, you're making Jesus cry because he's done all that he could do. The rest is up to you. So those three points, you, did you get those three points? You'll notice they are Lazarus has a problem, like us, death. Lazarus has a friend in high places, like we can. And then the third point, did you catch this? Lazarus is raised from the dead like we will be. Oh, you don't get a choice about being raised from the dead. Oh, you don't. You will be raised from the dead, period. That's what Jesus said. He said, let me read it to you. A time is coming when all who have died, all who have died, will hear his voice and rise. Those who were right with God will rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. John 5, 28 through 9. You know, you do get a choice. You get to choose, do I rise to friend or do I rise to foe? Do I rise to a loving father who I became his son or daughter during life? I opened my heart, his Holy Spirit came in, I became adopted in. Or did I shut that out and say, no, thank you. Happy for you guys. I don't pray. And then rise and face him. And then he says, oh, why don't you pray? Let's talk about that. Your choice. He will not send anybody to hell. He will say, you know what, friend? Thy, thy will be done. And what are you going to say? You didn't do enough for me. This, how did I even know? Uh, 
you did know. Do you remember the Easter service with the crazy bald Jewish guy <laughs> yelling at you? He spent an hour going off like a madman. You didn't know? You didn't get any of that? And that was only one little second. Uh, Gabriel, open the books, and let's bring up every single thought in every single incident from childhood where I tried to get through to him. Just bring him up, starting when he was a kid. All the way back, Lord? Yes, all the way back. Well, Lord, there's hundreds of them. Let's start. He's unconvinced. He thinks I'm doing something wrong here. So let's start. The books will be open. Now, why am I making things uncomfortable for you? Can't you just get on with this? We could go eat some chocolates and <laughs> crack open some eggs. You know? Why? Because it, eternity is a long time. And so I do my best to say, I, I really believe it. I really believe that there's a heaven and a hell. And how you respond to the message will determine where you spend eternity. It's a long time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. And Lord, I can plead all day long. It's not up to me. It's up to your spirit and the person's heart. Not just pray for the person's heart who, who needs to soften it and humble themselves. Finally, stop playing games and dodging God like dodgeball. God, uh, because when we dodge you, we lose. But when there's a direct hit... <laughs> We win. So help us all, Father, to open our hearts and to receive you in the fullness of your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.